Welcome to the show. Steve Stevens is my guest today. He's a Grammy award-winning guitar player, writer, composer. This guy's worked with everybody. Michael Jackson, Vince Neil, Robert Palmer, Sebastian Bach, so many others. Um, plus, of course, he did the iconic Top Gun theme song. That's the one he won the Grammy for. And, of course, he's most known for being the guitar player with Billy Idol. Uh, but for me, uh, I really became a fan uh, when I bought that first Vince Neil record, Exposed. I, I love that record. I was just a kid. I was like 14 years old. And just the songs and the guitars, I thought it all sounded so cool. Uh, and, of course, I knew the Billy Idol stuff, too. But uh, that's what really made me a fan. And so it's a bit surreal to sit down and chat with him and have the time to basically ask him all these different things. And um, and we're going to talk about you know his background, his life story. You'll hear about his whole career. Uh, he's got a new website, stevestevensguitar.com, so check that out. He's on Cameo, doing cameos. He's on Twitter. He's doing a rock and roll fantasy camp. He does charity work with uh, Save Our Stages, Music Cares, The Veterans. Uh, he's got a lot of stuff in the works, too. A new record with Billy Idol, a new solo record. Uh, Deadland Ritual and Kings of Chaos is still happening. Uh, the list goes on. we got a lot of fun stories in this one, so enjoy it. Check it out. Uh, thank you for doing this. Welcome, Steve Stevens, to the show, guitarist extraordinaire. Uh, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm, 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 uh, my wife and I, you know, we've been locked away uh, since March, and um, we took advantage of the uh, last two days. We got actually out to the beach, which was... <laughs> oh, because <laughs> yeah. you're in California now. You're, you're from uh, Brooklyn and New York, but you're in California now, right? Yeah, yeah, twenty uh, about twenty five years I've lived here. Which part uh, are you like by Huntington Beach or Malibu or which uh, I don't know the area too. Well. Um, yeah, we went out to Malibu. Uh, oh. We live in West Hollywood, but I went out to Malibu. Okay, is the traffic better at least now with this whole pandemic and Not stuff? Today, that's why I missed oh. the first <laughs> the first schedule. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Uh, traffic traffic was great around uh, you know April May. It was unbelievable. <laughs> okay, but uh, it's it's back to especially on Friday. It's back to you know what it was. Sure, sure. So yeah, I mean, if we can, just uh, I just want to like tell your story. It's a pretty amazing story. It starts out and uh, you were raised in uh, Brooklyn, or sorry, born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens. Yeah. And started playing the guitar at like age seven, uh, started with an acoustic, then got an electric. So how many hours, like when you're a kid, I mean, that's so, it seems so young. I remember my parents made me take piano lessons and practice and I'd always put up a fight. How many hours a day were you practicing at such a young age? Um, well, at first you're so young, you, you're not really practicing. The, the guitar came into the house as um, my my dad picked up, I believe he paid $17 for a guitar package at the, um, at the department store. And it came with a, a music book. Um, but my dad, you know, he was blue collar, hardworking guy. And by the time he'd get home and have dinner, he, he didn't have time or patience for a guitar. So, you know, I brought it into my room and I was just banging away, making a hell of a racket on it. Um, but I have an, a, an older brother, five years older than me, and a lot of his friends played guitar. And they said to my parents, you know, it's, uh, it's making a hell of a noise, but it's in time. He's got rhythm. Yeah. And um, so they arranged for my first guitar teacher, which was um, uh, a, a woman named Sunny Oaks. Her, her brother uh, is Phil Oaks, who was a protest singer in the 60s. Um, so she was, cause the regular, regular music teachers wouldn't take me that, that young. They, they oh, just, cause uh, too young. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So she was cool about it. And, um, 
And I, I think I've stuck with her for about half a year and then uh, found a proper guitar teacher. But, you know, it was one of those things I, I, I loved. I think I think I initially wanted to do it because I just wanted to hang out with my brother and his friends. Oh. And I thought that was a way to do it by playing guitar. Okay, and it worked. Yeah, it actually worked. OK, yeah. Usually it's to get girls, but uh, hanging out with their brother, I guess that works. To, you're probably too young to discover girls yet. Well, you know, the girls would say to my brother, you know, I'd want to go along, tag along. Actually, my brother brought me to uh, my first concert in was the James gang in Central Park. Um, oh. But the girls would say, oh, bring your brother along. He's so cute. They didn't know. <laughs> I was a devious little <laughs> bastard. <laughs> and my brother would be like, you have no idea what he's really like. He'd be <laughs> like, oh, but he's really cute. And my brother would be like, sure he is. Sure. Yeah, right. So, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I'd so was it your, was it the second guitar teacher that you had that, um, uh, it was actually like your choir teacher, but taught you guitar. This was uh, some advice that I heard uh, that he gave you that was amazing that he told you don't have a fallback plan because you're, you're good enough that I think you can make it. And if, the, if you have a fallback plan, the first sign of disappointment, you're going to bail. So he said, just put all your energy into this guitar thing. Um, yeah. Which was incredible and brave of him to, to, to tell me. Um, yeah. What, what he also told me is he started a family when he was very young. He was, he was my uh, choir teacher in junior mm -hmm. high, but, but he played guitar and he was a very charismatic guy. And of course, my mom wanted me to take lessons with him because he looked kind of like Joe Namath. Or, <laughs> you know? So, um, um, but he did, he gave me some good life lessons, you know, and he said, give it your, give it your best shot because, um, he was really great, but, you know, he started a family very young, had two kids and had, uh, you know, mortgage and all this stuff. And he said, you know, he's, you know, he, I guess he recognized that I had the potential to, to make a career out of it. And he said, give, give it your best. And, uh, and, and don't worry about having something to fall back on. You, you know, if you, if you really want it, you'll get, you'll, you'll, you'll get the success. Yeah. And that's pretty ballsy. So, but then you, you did end up going to the, uh, a high school for the performing arts, the fame school in Manhattan. And you had, you had a, you got in on a guitar audition, but then right. there was no guitars to play. They, and so you tried the viola, but you're like, this isn't, I want to do guitar. So you ended up just dropping out of high school. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, they admitted me in on guitar and, and my teacher was the one that coached me in. And uh, I actually got accepted in playing. Um, uh, uh, I was a huge yes fan and Steve Howe on the Fragile record had Mood for a Day. And I played that piece as, a, uh, as an audition piece. Um, and my guitar teacher wrote it out in, in, in uh, musical form. So they thought I was reading it, but I, I really was never much of a reader. So I just kind of looked at it, you know, um, fooled them. Uh, but I got <laughs> into the school and, um, and they said, uh, you know, uh, guitar is not a symphonic instrument, meaning there's no guitar in the orchestra. Sure. Uh, you have to pick up an orchestra orchestral instrument. And I was, uh, really, really horrible at viola. So I kind of lost interest, although I loved music history uh, and my music history classes huh. were amazing, uh, because I loved reading about the, the early classical musicians who were pretty rock and roll. Those guys were pretty, pretty, they were the rock stars of the day. And, um, uh, so I loved all that aspect of it. And I, I liked learning music theory. I always felt that was something that was important. Um, but then there was a hip, you know, there's always that hip kid in school, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so the hip kid, 
uh, we stayed in Manhattan. I lived in the suburbs in Queens and we st I stayed in Manhattan and we went, to, he took me to the Mercer Art Center. We hung out in the city and we went to see the Heartbreakers, which was Johnny Thunder's band after the New York Dolls. And it was the first time I had been in the clubs and really seen, um, you know, yes, struggling musicians, but um, there was probably about four bands on the bill that night. And I, I, I saw my future as that was my education, as opposed to what I was learning in school. Sure. And, um, and by then I was, I, I just joined a cover band that was playing. Uh, we started to play the long Island cover band scene with uh, like twisted sister and all that. So, um, you know, I, I, we finish a gig, I'd get home and I literally travel home on the subway and, get home at about 3 a.m. and, you know, have to, you know, be in school by eight. And it was like an hour of train ride. I was exhausted. So I really wasn't a very good student. And um, so I dropped out and got my GED, which I promised my folks. And from that point on, I was living with my other band members and playing uh, the clubs about uh, three or four nights a week. Yeah. And so this, this sounds like a Seinfeld episode or something, but I think it was, it must've been around this time that you worked for a bra company like you, you and you said that if you didn't make it in music, you would have worked your way up the corporate ladder there. So tell me about that job. Like, I just can't even picture that. Like, did you have the big hair and you go in with a tie or what? No, this is when I was 14. I oh, that was that yeah. young. Okay. Wow. Yeah. 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 Because I was always in bands. Um, and, um, and there was a, you could look in the village, the, the, our local paper was the village voice, which was free. And there was about three or four pages of ads for, for musicians looking for other musicians. So I, I would, go around and, f and also word of mouth, you know, so I was in a little, a little band, you know, a little garage band. I'd, I'd probably been in about four garage bands. And uh, over the summer, the, uh, the drummer's dad uh, was the owner of Team Form Bras. I don't know if they're still in existence. <laughs> so weird. And they were training, little training bras. And uh, so I worked a team form and, uh, and actually I got fired because I was there. <laughs> I wasn't there legally. <clears throat> but I went out and um, uh, smoked a joint during my lunch break. And, uh, and, and I went out and um, I was talking to the foreman and I put my hand down, didn't realize it was the conveyor belt. And I got my hand pulled into the conveyor belt, took the, took the skin all, all oh, off my shit. hand, <clears throat> had to go to the hospital. And uh, to this day, I won't, I, I won't work with saws and things like that. Yeah. Because, Cause your hands, it's a guitar player. That's scary. <laughs> Yeah, it was very scary. I mean, it looked like hell, and uh, and uh, and he and he said, you know, that, you know, they couldn't get insurance. It, it, he said, you're fired, basically. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's maybe that was for I the won, best. Won yeah, job. it worked yeah. out okay. So, at what point did you change your name? Because Steve Stevens is not your real name. So, what point did you change your name to Steve Stevens? And how did you come up with that? Because I feel like that was kind of like a, a thing in the '80s. There was like Duran Duran, Mister Mister, the Go Go's, Talk Talk, the the, like all these repeated names. It's actually a great story because oh, cool. um, my family's uh, came over during the uh, Second World War, and when they, when my uh, dad's family landed at Ellis Island, they gave them a German name because they couldn't understand where it was, and they were they were uh, you know Russian immigrants, but they, you know they said it sounded like. Uh, Schneider, which in, in German is a tailor. If you go get your pants oh, hemmed or whatever, know that. It's, it's tailor. And then I'm, so I'm like, well, I can't call myself Steve Taylor because there's Steve Tyler. And so yeah. 
the band that I was in before Billy Idol, we had a loft uh, in in the music building and lots of musicians would come and hang out and we're sitting there and we're having this discussion. We're getting ready to play gigs. What's my name going to be? And Sylvain Sylvain from the New York Dolls was hanging out with us. Oh. Um, they used to rehearse, his band used to rehearse in our loft. And he said, uh, he looked at me and he said, just do what I did. Use your first name twice. So I thought, <laughs> there you I go. Thought, That's I'm christened by a New York doll, you know. That's pretty and, cool. Um, and he, yeah, yeah. He remembered it because I hadn't seen him in years. And um, and he, uh, we played a, a, a show with Billy about six years ago. I had told my wife this story. And six years ago, we played a, a show with the newly reformed dolls. And I saw Sylvain and I said, do you remember giving my, my name? And he said, absolutely. So, um, oh, so there cool. it is, you know? Yeah. So that band, uh, was it, how do you say the fine, is it Maribus or Maribus or <laughs> uh, fine Malibus? Malibus. I must have yeah, made terribly. a typo there, but so that, uh, yeah. band, you guys had a record company, the record got shelved, but you ended up hooking up with Bill Coin, who was the had been the manager in Kiss, and so that's kind of how you got hooked up with Billy Idol, right? He you put out exactly. an ad, and he answered it and said, "Hey, have you ever heard of Billy Idol?" And you had heard, yeah. Of <clears throat> well, we did we did the album, and um, you know we were like fifteen guys, a lot of guys from they were from they were army brats from Clarksville, Tennessee. We were living in this loft, uh, barely with a kitchen, and uh, you know just a little pipe for a shower. We were pretty broke, you know. Yeah. But, but when you do when you're doing it, you don't you don't even realize it because everybody was broke. Um, and then we got signed to Island Records, and the producer was Jimmy Miller, who did the the Rolling Stones records. And they shipped us off to the Bahamas, Compass Point Studios. Nice. And we were in. We stayed in the house that the Rolling Stones owned, and we thought we, you know, we thought we got it made. You know, the, the thing we forgot about is we didn't have the songs, so wow. the record. You know, we were all good musicians, but we really didn't have a cohesive, uh, you know, identifiable sound. And we, I didn't know anything about writing songs, really. Mm -hmm. um, so the record was not released, and uh, uh, we hooked up with Bill Coin, and um, and the decision was made that, uh, you know, I couldn't go any longer. I needed musicians I could learn from. You know, yeah. As far as I needed writers and other musicians that that could kind of challenge me. Right. Um, so we, uh, I think we ran an ad, uh, a coin ran an ad for uh, like one issue of the Village Voice again. And um, I say guitarist looking to form a band. Da, da, da. And uh, about a week later, uh, Bill Coin called me and said, do you know who Billy Idol is? And by then, uh, Dancing With Myself had been released. And he said, well, I said, oh, Dancing With Myself. He said, yeah, well, actually, Billy's moved to New York. He's... Um, He's looking to put a band together. He's going to, you know, he's living there in New York and um, you guys should meet. And that was, okay. <laughs> and that was yeah. it. Yeah. And so, but the, no, was, but this was interesting. You had a good quote there. You said um, that uh, it was that, that this is what you had that you didn't have in your previous band was a direction and someone that you could bounce ideas off and someone who could challenge you. Right. Because if it was a guitar solo it was too long or whatever, um, like he would tell you things. So, I mean, do you think that's, a, that's gotta be an important thing to have in this business is not only being able to take criticism, but also being able to give it in kind of a nice way. And you guys have that back and forth, right? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the fact was that, um, I didn't have to, um, you know, I didn't have to form a band with four guys and figure out what our identity was and 
what our sound was. And Billy Idol already knew what he wanted to do. That's why he left Generation X. Um, he wanted to do this this gumbo of of punk rock and and classic rock. And our his producer Keith Forsey came from the dance school thing uh, uh, side of things with things like you know he he played drums on Donna Summer's records and you know had uh, had this dance background and all it seemed like I was the right fit for it because um whatever they needed stylistically on guitar whether it was acoustic or textural or straight up aggressive rock and roll I had the capability to do that and um and I I I, I said to Billy I said look you know I'm not a punk rock guitar player I said, but wouldn't it be better to have somebody who uh, you can hone their ideas and maybe uh, if they pay, if they play a hundred of them, you pick the best 20 rather than having somebody you constantly have to push. Right. It's only going to give you what you ask for. Um, and I think that served us well. And, and I think that's why we still work together. Yeah. So that first album, Billy Idol, uh, you know, you had the, the white wedding song. That was the first time you heard your song played on the radio. Right. But it's funny. Cause like, and you even had the MTV video and everything, but you're only making 250 bucks a week from that first record and you're touring yeah. in a van and stuff. So it's like, yeah. people don't really realize like how long it takes to really make it. Yeah. I was on salary from, I think I have, I saved my first salary check, $250. And uh, I didn't actually own a, uh, a, a good recording guitar when I met Billy and I remember uh, he took me to 48th street and got me my first real Les Paul. And, um, and uh, you know, it was, um, you know, recording the first record, I think, and I, I tell this to musicians all the time that it's, it's really okay to ask questions and it's really okay to say that you don't know if, if, uh, if something is suggested or, you know, um, because people can always show you an example of what they're looking for, especially with music. Yeah. You know, if they're saying, oh, we're looking, you know, I remember there was a couple of things. I mean, as far as the, the, the rock and roll guitar stuff, I could handle all that. But there was a couple of things where they would ask for maybe uh, like a Steve Cropper, bluesy, Strat kind of clean uh, thing, you know. Um, and I was that was not my wheelhouse, but I would just say, play me what it is you're, you know, play me a record. And I would be like, Oh, I know what that is. So, um, and I, I tell musicians, you know, all the time now it's okay to ask questions and that's how you learn. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. Because just cause you sign a big deal, you might still don't know a lot of things and you're probably still learning things as you go along. Right. It's, you know, man, it's, it's not about what you know, it's about making the mistakes and, and, learning what not to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is, this is cool too. In the second album, the rebel yell, uh, you wrote the music for eyes without a face, but Billy wrote the lyrics, but you had to kind of convince him to do a ballad. He was hesitant to do that. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it, it was, a, a, a strange amalgam because we were, we were in rehearsal for, um, for that record, we rehearsing with our band and a lot of ideas came together. And then one day, you know, I was living in the basement of my parents' house and the only, um, only radio station I could get was uh, in New York, the, the oldie station, CBS FM. And I liked all of these kind of like old um, doo-wop chord changes. They're, they're very classic 1950s. And to me, Billy's always had one foot in the Elvis school, the kind of classic rock, 
uh, he loves all that kind of Otis Redding and Elvis and, you know, obviously, uh, you know, uh, you know, Johnny Burnett and all, you know, he loves rockabilly and all that stuff. Classic, classic rock, way back classic rock. So I had these chord changes. I'm just playing them. And he goes, oh, what's that? You know, and I said, well, that's just something I'm messing with. And luckily enough, he had some lyrics. He was always writing lyrics on a, like a legal pad. He had some lyrics and they they fit together well. But we, we really didn't know what we had. We, we knew we had something different than everything else we had done. Um, but once we started, I, 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 you know, all props to our producer, Keith Forsey, who believed in it and said, you know, look, Billy Idol records are not just one kind of music. You know, we, we, we all grew up on the, on the Beatles records, which had you know, from one song to the next, they were so different. One would sound like an Indian Indian raga or something, and then one would be a, you know, a classic, you know, uh, song or something. Oh yeah. And so we said, you know, with this record, you know, we, we, if it sounds good, let's just pursue our ideas. And at the end of the day, if it sounds good, then it is good. So uh, it was undeniable. For by the time that we had finished it, it had grown into this. Um, kind of creation, you know, with the middle section rocking out a bit, because we said, oh, it can't just be a ballad all the way through. Let's do something in the middle where there's electric guitars. And it just, um, you know, it was kind of paint by numbers, but it did, really did work. Yeah, no, it's I love that record. The Rebel Yell song is great. And then you did the Whiplash Smile record. And then it was around the same time that this is how you uh, uh, started doing the soundtrack stuff. You did this, the Top Gun anthem for the film, obviously the same name with uh, Harold Faltermeyer from uh, who did Beverly Hills Cop. But what was it like right. working with him? Um, fantastic. I mean, um, you know, it's a great example of, you, you You know, in my business, you just somebody ask you to do something, just always say yes. So and Billy was OK with you. Like, how does that work? Because you're con contractually obligated to him. Right. Or how does that? No, no. He no, let you. No, yeah. We, we don't have any contracts or oh, okay. that stuff. Yeah. Um, but Harold was the keyboard player on Whiplash Smile. He was friends with uh, Keith Forsey. And he, he after one of the sessions, he mentioned to me, oh, I'm working on this movie. Maybe you'd be interested in playing on it. And um, he put up the, the multi-track after one of the Billy Idol sessions. It was on a weekend. Um, and I think we spent about two hours in the whole thing and it was wrapped up. And, and uh, I kind of forgot about it, you know. And then the movie came out and premiered mm. and was a big deal. I went, oh, wow. this is. And then the soundtrack, of course, uh, you know, Take My Breath Away and, yeah. uh, and uh, Mighty Wings with uh, Cheap Trick and uh, Danger Zone. This was a huge record. Oh, yeah. And then uh, I got a call from Harold from he was living in Germany. And he said, uh, we got it nominated for a Grammy. And I go, get the fuck out of here. And he goes, he goes, we're going to win. I go, yeah, OK. You know, I said, it's very nice to be nominated. But but we did end up winning. And so and, cool. Um, and like I say, man, you never know. You just never know. Yeah, no. And so and then a couple of years later, um, you end up working with Michael Jackson. So this story is kind of interesting because you talk about how, like, when you recorded the song in the studio, it was pretty normal. Like you walk in, it was just Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones and um, very low key, similar to Billy Idol. But the yeah. interesting part to me was when uh, you said you worked on the video for the song Dirty Diana and you came out to the video shoot and there was like toys everywhere. And you thought, I was like, oh, someone's kids here. But it was actually for like his pet chimp bubbles or is that one of the weirdest things that you've seen in the music business or? 
Probably the weirdest. Okay. <laughs> what, did, what, did the chimp even show up at that point, though? Oh, or? yeah. Oh, yeah? It, it was a, so we pull up. It's a van, tricked out van. Yeah. You know, like, you know, flames on the side. And, I'm, and, it, and it was kind of open, and there was like a little jungle gym out there. And I thought, wow, they've got stuff set up for people's kids, you know, keep them occupied. No, it was Bubbles. It was the Bubbles Mobile. <laughs> Were you so, kind of, um, I'd be nervous of the, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, they're, I guess it's domesticated animal, but I mean, I've heard stories yeah. of like chimps biting people's faces off and things like that. Like, <laughs> well, I didn't think of that, but um, yeah. so Michael, Michael has Bubbles in his, you know, he brings them over to meet me. He goes, oh, do you want to meet Bubbles? Go, yeah, of course. And, um, you know, I don't know if you remember what Michael used to wear, um, uh, like tape on his fingers when he held the microphone to, you know, it, oh, I didn't some know some singers back then used to wear oh, okay. this kind of like tape. So it kind of was, you know, like a rock and roll thing and bubbles had the tape on. So Michael goes, Oh, bubbles has his rock tape on. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, he's an interesting guy. Interesting guy. Yeah. yeah. So guys, you work with so many interesting people. Uh, Robert Palmer, you got to record with him as well, right? Did, you guys did a song together? Um, we, uh, yeah, I did three, three songs with Robert. Robert was the first rock star I ever met. So as I mentioned, we, the band before idol, we went down to the Bahamas to compass point and Robert was living across, across the street and, uh, walked into the studio one night with a, you know, martini glass, <laughs> exactly the way you'd expect Robert Palmer, hmm. you know, would he have a suit to, on and everything or, um, yeah, he looked great. He looked exactly, you know, <laughs> That's the funny. hair is perfect. And yeah. You know, and uh, he walked in and said, hello, I'm Robert, you know, and uh, carry on. And we were recording or we were listening back or something. And he heard, he said, oh, who's the guitar guitarist? And I raised my hands. <laughs> that would be me. And um, he literally lived, lived across the street, said he was working on some demos. Would I be interested in coming help, help? out with some demos so we we struck up a friendship oh, and this nice. is this is a couple of years before idol or yeah. at least a year and a half um so we always stayed in touch and actually the guitarist that played on things like addicted to love uh, is a guy named eddie martinez who was a, a friend of mine um so uh so uh you know i i knew all the guys in robert's band and stuff and so i worked on the follow-up record and he was living in italy at the time and we, we recorded in Italy. That's fun. He, he was a great guy. I mean, he's, he's, he uh, really was exactly the way he was in those videos. He was very cool. And he was like the James Bond. Did he have like girls all around him all, at the time too, all the time? Uh, um, no, but <laughs> when we did the video, we did. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we did the video and uh, we did it down on 14th street. And, um, and it was all, you know, fashion models in the video. That was his thing. And, right. Um, you know, it's exactly what I expected. <laughs> yeah. So what, and then what about, this is where I think I became, I really became a fan of yours was with the, the Vince Neil record, which I think you, a lot of people have told you that that's one of their, the favorite records that, that you've done, but that's kind of like, I think I knew Billy Idol, but I guess I just mm -hmm. didn't really know, like, you know, that was when I started getting into rock and I got that album right. and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is so good. Cause I was a big crew fan, of course. Right. And, right. um, you know, they said part of the reason that Vince left the crew or quit or fired or whatever is he didn't do enough songwriting. Um, so did okay. you do most of the songwriting on that record? Cause I know that was the first time you were able to like actually write lyrics and stuff like that. Or did you guys work together or was it? 
Um, I didn't, I think uh, maybe I contributed lyrics only on one song on that record, um, which was uh, Can't Have You Cake and Eat It Too. I love that song. It's so also, good. also, Living is a Luxury. So that yeah, was the yeah, other yeah. one. Um, but I came into the band. The band was, you know, I got a call once again, you know, I'm signed to Warner Brothers and then right. things get signed. And um, so my A&R guy, who was Ted Templeman, who was the producer of Van Halen, uh, called, I'm still living in New York, and said, uh, we've signed Vince Neil. Um, would you be interested in coming out? And, and this is obviously after Dr. Feelgood, which I, I thought was just one of, one of the best 80s rock, rock records, hands down. For I sure. loved anything Bob Rock did. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, so all those records he did, The Cult, and you know, all, the, all that stuff, those Bob Rock records were state-of-the-art. So I came out, and... Um, and, uh, you know, I, I said, yeah, you know, I'd let, I, you know, there was uh, other writers involved, Jack Blades and Tommy Shaw from Damn Yankees. And, um, and, and the producer was, uh, Ted, uh, was um, Ron Neverson, who had done yeah. Heart Records. So it was all, you know, doing the record and everything was, was fantastic. Yeah. And then, um, so what happened with that band? Like, there's all these like, uh, stories that I read on, I don't know if you were even there for some of this, like Robbie Crane left the bass player left cause he got in a fist fight with Vince and then Vicky Fox was kicked out cause he stole equipment. Like, were you there for any of this stuff or was this after you I was gone? You I got, was gone before that. Okay. I, and, I guess I saw the writing on the wall, but, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, you know, the, 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 the record, I think more people appreciate the record now than, when it was released, because this is right when grunge hit, you know, sure, and, yeah. and, and, um, and the, all, you know, the record companies, although they spent a lot of money on signing Vince and, 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 uh, promoting the record, uh, you know, record companies, you know, by and large, they're looking for the next, they want another Nirvana or Pearl Jam or this and that. And I remember, we were doing uh, something and they said, Hey, you guys think about wearing flannel shirts or, you know, and I went, you, you signed Vince Neil. <laughs> like the dude represents everything about Hollywood debauchery. And yeah. you know, that's, that's what Motley Crue is about. And you want right. him to wear a flannel shirt and, you know, I go, it doesn't make sense. So um, uh, I, I, I kind of, you know, I fit, we, we had toured with um, Van Halen, Van Halen, yeah. Van Halen. And um, and that was that tour was already booked before uh, we finished the record, so that was a, a big selling point for me to join. And and once we for finished sure. that, you know, it was very hard for you know even even somebody who had a, an audience like like Vince did. Uh, you know, we started playing smaller venues and things like that, mm. and the press was not about what we were doing. So um, hmm. so I kind of said, you know, I need to reassess what I'm doing. So touring with Van Halen was that I, I had uh, the guitarist from ugly kid, Joe, who they also toured with Van Halen. He said it was so weird. Like he walked into the dressing room and Eddie Van Halen's in like his, you know, his tidy whiteies like playing guitar and stuff. And he said it was just like, was that surreal for you too? Or you already met him at this point. I was already friends with, with oh, Eddie and, and, nice. um, and they were at the, um, this was the album, not sure the name of the album, but it had a pound cake on it and, Oh yeah, um, for unlawful carnal knowledge is is that the the yeah. album? Yeah, and um, those guys were just every night they'd come out with, with uh, you know, like storming. They were just brilliant every night, uh, and um, and uh, you know Ed and I were friends, and and uh, I think he was he was pretty damn sober on that tour. You know, it was like oh. it was a 
it was a good tour to be on. You know, they they drank and Sammy drank and all that, but but they you could tell that they were really proud of that record. And every night they were just unbelievable. That's great. Yeah, no, I love that record too. Yeah. But I love that, that Vince Neil record that you guys made. I mean, I like his other one too, but like that first one exposed, I mean, it was so, it was so good. So do you, do you hear that a lot from fans that they really wish that you and Vince would do another record together or. Um, I don't hear that, but a lot of guitar players say that's a really, you know, that's a record that they really listen to and yeah. uh, emulate, you know, cause, cause the eighties were like, um, there was a lot of good guitar players that were that were doing heavy rock guitar stuff in the eighties. In the nineties, it was like you couldn't get arrested doing that stuff. Right. Yeah. But it's kind of come around full circle. And now you go on, you know, you go on YouTube and there's some fourteen year old kid playing docking or something, and it's like it's cool to shred again, you know, in a different way. But I think I think uh, younger guitar players really appreciate the, you know, technical ability in, of, of of the eighties guitar players. Yeah, I'd be curious to see because there's a lot of those like 70s kind of sounding bands like Greta Van Fleet and the Struts, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of sound like Queens, kind of this revival of the 70s. I'd be curious to see if there's any sort of 80s revival type bands. That'd be fun. I, I, the, the funny thing is that the 80s, the 80s sound, I think, is more absorbed into like things like uh, pop music. Mm, um, yeah. Uh, you know, if, dance, uh, yeah. even things like like Miley Cyrus is citing a lot of, you know, she just did a duet with Billy Idol and she's, she's utilizing oh. a lot of eighties um, uh, kind of um, uh, songs and structures and things like that. Yeah, no, that's really cool. You've done so many uh, other cool projects like uh, the Kings. Are you still doing the Kings of chaos every now and then, or is that thing? We do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously with, with COVID we're kind of right. Yeah. We're on hiatus a little bit, but um but uh, yeah, we were actually scheduled to do a King's show, and uh, but got you know canceled. Yeah, so it's Matt Sorm from uh, Guns and Roses and the Colt, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Billy Duffy from the Colt, Joe Elliott of Def Leppard has been in there. The DeLeo Brothers from Stone Temple Pilots, Billy Gibbons from ZZ yeah. Top, which you said was really fun to play with him. Do you guys? Is there ever talk of doing like an original song with that band, or is it only mo- there mostly is, just live? Yeah. Oh, there is actually. Yeah, yeah. Matt and I have talked about doing something and. Um, and uh, there, there's actually some songs that are, you know, being floated about. So, but, you know, a lot of a lot of our plans kind of got way late. Yeah. But, um, I think at some, at some point there, there'll be some original stuff to come out of because it's I mean, it's a it's a damn Rolodex of who's who in rock and roll that that uh, that you can call upon to to do different tracks. And um, and it's really interesting when you um, I'm a huge, huge fan of Stone Temple Pilots and. You know, when I get to work with uh, the DeLeo brothers and, you know, being on stage with them and Billy Gibbons and Matt Sora, it's, 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 it sounds incredible up there. Yeah. Does Sebastian Bach, did he play with them sometimes too? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So tell me about that. You, you were, uh, you wrote and played with him. You did three songs on that uh, Give Him Hell song, 2014. I love those songs. Right. I love that album. I love Sebastian Bach. I'm a huge Skid Row fan. So what's it like working mm-hmm. with Sebastian? Like, He's a little bit of a character. Like, give me, is there like any good Sebastian Bach stories? I love a good Sebastian Bach story. <laughs> so, so I didn't, you know, I only knew him from, he had guested on a Kings of Chaos show. Mm-hmm. So I got booked. This is my best Sebastian story. So I got booked okay. to uh, play the Iridium, which is a small club in New York. And it was where Les Paul used to play his weekly show. And um, they kept that night going. It's a Tuesday night. And they would invite guitar players to kind of be the guest guitar player with 
with uh, some of the original Les Paul players. And, and uh, it was like, you take over the night. So I agreed to do it. And um, so I, I call up Sebastian. I go, hey, man, you know, I'm going to New York. I'm going to do this, this uh, thing at the Iridium. Would you like to be, the, you know, be the singer? Sure, man. Sounds great. All right, cool. <laughs> and we get there and I don't re- I, I didn't realize it's a small place, but it's a like dinner theater. People are sitting at Here. tables eating dinner while they're watching you. Right. Okay. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, oh shit. So, Cause that's a different vibe. Man. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, Sebastian Bach, he's like, he's like playing to the garden. He, every yeah, night yeah. He's, you know, that's his mindset. <laughs> yeah, he's I'm not, thinking, yeah. oh man, this ain't going to go down well with him. <laughs> well, fortunately enough. So, he he was such a good sport about it. I go I go before we go on. I go Sebastian, just to let you know they're going to be eating dinner. Just eating dinner. What the fuck is that? I go. <laughs> it's like it's like a club where they eat dinner. You know, go, eat dinner while I'm on stage singing. I go. I go it is what it is. That so is we're up really there, weird. and so he he climbs off the stage and he walks across the tables and somebody's like eating chicken. So he's like picking up the chicken and he's like, Oh yeah, that's some good chicken, man. And he was such a good sport about it. He, you know, he, uh, the audience loved it, you know, but he was still, (laughs) he was still giving him shit about eating while he was, while he was performing. That is a weird setup for a rock show. I've never heard of that. Yeah. It's that, you know, the only other place I've played like that is the, there was a, a legendary place in New York called the bottom line. And um, I mean, everyone played the bottom line Springsteen and, hmm. and um, I played there with Billy Idol and, and they serve food. It's like, you know, yeah, that's we good, were doing, yeah. we, it was part of our unplugged tour. So oh, it okay. kind of worked. That's, you know? Yeah. It, that it, makes it, sense for unplugged, but yeah, Sebastian Bach, right. I can't, I don't know. I can't picture that. He's not the Dina theater guy. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I mean, does, he did do the musicals, but even that's like more, yeah elaborate yeah. so and yeah. then you've got you got so many projects here the the deadland ritual band this is like an all-star band you got frankie perez on vocals geezer butler from black sabbath on bass and matt sorum on drums and of course yourself on guitars tell me about that band yeah we just um you know it was one of those uh you know matt and i uh, knew you know we were friends with frankie and we were just like oh let's put something together um, I was kind of on a break. Billy was Billy Idol wasn't touring for a little while, and uh, so uh, you know, let's put this together. Matt and I spoke, and we were thinking about bass players. And I guess Matt had just seen an interview with Geezer after Sabbath played their last show in Birmingham, and uh, and he picked up the phone and said, "Hey, you know, wow. uh, you know, would you know would be into jamming?" And it's that's the way it starts. It's no different. Well, how does he get Geezer Butler's band. phone number, though? Just because he has everybody's phone number. Oh, because he's from Guns N' Roses. He's like he can just get anybody. It's different. He's you, that. He's he's that guy. Really? He's that guy. He's got everybody's number. Do you ever get yeah. calls like that from like just ce- random celebrities that are famous, and you're not mad because it's like somebody like if Mick Jagger ever call you or some somebody crazy like that? You're like I, you don't even ask how they they got your phone number. I had in the eighties. I had the ultimate Mick Jagger. Uh, a phone message and um, he left a message on my answering machine. And he said this, he was doing a solo tour in Australia. Um, and he, uh, he said, yeah, hello, Steve is Smith Jagger. I'm here down in the, in, uh, you know, wherever it was Martinique down in the, you know, Caribbean, Caribbean. And uh, I'm going to do this tour for you. you know? um, 
but it was undeniably him. Um, I didn't end up doing it. I think Satriani did the tour ah. um, because um, I didn't think I was the guy to play Rolling Stone. You know, obviously he's got to play Rolling Stone stuff. Yeah. And, and I'm just not that guy. Um, and um, it yeah, was, it's definitely it, a different sound for sure. Yeah. I mean, I love Keith Richards, but I don't play anything like that. So, um, and I just, uh, I, I, uh, I, I, I turned down Mick Jagger. That's pretty okay. crazy, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's nice that, that he thought of you, though. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And then um, you worked. You, did you do a song with Ozzy? I, I don't think it's come out yet. But you, you guys wrote some songs or something with Billy Morrison. Yeah, well, Ozzy's best friend is Billy Morrison, who's Idol's uh, second guitar player, rhythm right. guitar player, who's like one of my closest uh, buddies. Um, and I think uh, this. God, it's got to be two years ago. He said that Ozzy was looking. They had they had put together some ideas, and Morrison knew that I had a home studio, and said, "Would you, would you know? Would you be willing to uh, let Ozzy come in and cut a couple of songs?" And I think we we did like three songs, and um, uh, but nothing really came of it. It was uh, mm. you know, um, hmm. I think it was more more. Um, he was just finding his direction, you know. Mm. It, it, it was. I mean, it was unbelievable to have him in this. He literally stood right there and and sang. And oh, this was Ozzy. in person. It wasn't like via like a. Uh, oh no, he came wow. here and was you know he'd bring his his lunch and sit down. What does Ozzy Osbourne guy. eat for lunch? That I, that's that's the the burning question everyone's on everyone's mind. What was it? Because he left his Tupperware here. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> you should I sell that on eBay. I have Ozzy's Tupperware. That's an eBay item for sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's um, cool. But um, I don't know. You know, salad or something. Just something normal. Seemed, okay. Seemed like a pretty healthy guy. I'm know? sure. Like, yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> maybe not back in the yeah, 80s, right? but yeah. yeah. So then. Um, but yeah. he was great. That's he's, cool. He's, he's a lovely guy. I mean, he really is. That's what I've heard from everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and I had his really bass player on here, Blasco. He was really nice. He was telling, you know, how great it was working with Ozzy. So Yeah, yeah. And then you have a solo record uh, that you're going to have guest vocalists. And can you not say who the vocalists are? Or can you hint or can we guess? Because if is it people you've worked with in the past or people you haven't worked well, with or a mix? I mean, it might be a mixture of, of, of both. But I think, you know, my, my thing is that, um, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm such a fan of singers and I've been blessed that I've worked with so many yeah. singers. You Amazing. Know? I mean, uh, you know, and that, that was, that was one of the best aspects about my career in the eighties because I, I wasn't a band member per se. I was Billy Idol's sideman. So people figured, Oh, well we can just call him and, you know, have him come in and, and do things like a Rick Ocasek or, so I really did get to do a lot of, uh, you know, uh, writing and playing with people that I think ordinarily guys that are in bands, they just play with their band and record with their band. So, um, but I love the juxtaposition of working with people maybe outside of my wheelhouse. Yeah. And there's, and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, you know, cool singers that I'd like to work, work with, but uh, you know, some rock, maybe some that aren't rock. You know, I'm a mm. fan of, of songs and, um, I certainly don't want to uh, do a record that's a shred guitar thing. We have we have so many guys that are great at that, and um, and that's their thing. But for me, I I, I want to do a record of great songs and innovative guitar. And if there's a solo, great. If there's not, it's still a great song. 
So what, like, what would be a comparison then? Like what's, is it going to just be a, a mix, like kind of like a diverse eclectic mix of different kinds of songs? Yeah. And I might try and conceptualize it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy that grew up on those early seventies rock records where they had a bit of a theme. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm going to do a prog rock record, but I love albums that, you know, have something, some, some tether that holds the songs together. And I think there has to be that if I'm going to have different singers on it, but, um, but I thought, you know, I mean, best example of that was the Santana record, which. Oh, you know, yeah, you could, you that's know, a good one. Go, and, and certainly some of Carlos's best guitar playing is on that record. But, yeah, uh, it's but got the Rob Thomas. There, you know, yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, I'd love to I'd love to just work with different people outside of outside of what people ordinarily expect. There's there's no shame in trying something. And uh, I've done this long enough to know when it's working and maybe when it's not. <laughs> yeah. So do you have some of those things lined up or are you still looking to get uh, guest vocalists? I, I've just started to like put the word out and I'm still writing. So uh, as the, that's the other aspect of it is as I write a tune, I'm yeah. hearing in my head, oh, who would be good for this? Yeah. Oh, wow, this person or that person. Mick yeah. Jagger, maybe this is the time you guys work together, do a song. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Or Axel after Rose. what I after what I just said about turning down the yeah. gig. Yeah. <laughs> and be like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and then so you also have is this a separate uh, thing that you're doing, the flamenco uh, record? And that that they have a band with that. That's Frankie Perez on vocals on that one too, right? No, um, I had already done a flamenco record, Flamenco A Go Go, but um, I did that actually after the Vince Neil thing. Yeah, uh, uh, I was kind of burnt out on uh, on on the heavy rock thing. Sure, and, and uh, flamenco was one of the styles that I started with, so it was a way for me to reconnect with why I picked the damn instrument up to begin with. Uh, so I did a flamenco record, but um, I still do. There's a guitarist named Ben Woods. If anybody wants to. Um, google and look on youtube and he's like a he's a he's a real deal flamenco guitarist but he he's a rock and roll guy so uh he and i work together really well so i'm sure that there'll be aspects of that on my on my next solo record right uh, because it's a big part of what i do um and i remember we toured with um uh last summer we toured with uh, brian adams and uh and um there's a brian adams song called when a man from don walk Don Juan Navarco, the film, the Johnny yeah. Depp film. And there's it's, it's flamenco guitar on it. And Brian wasn't performing it live. I said, why don't you do that? Man loves a woman. Uh, why aren't you doing that live? He goes, oh, well, we don't really have the you know flamenco guitar. And I, I'll do it. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, uh, and I, I love, that's a perfect example of a, a guy with a great rock and roll voice. And then he does this. Uh, he he had uh, a, a guitarist named Paco de Lucia who passed away. Uh, Paco was the Jimi Hendrix of flamenco guitar, and, mm. and um, I was a fan of both of those. When I heard those two guys together, um, that I'd like to do something uh, in the. I'd like to at least have a beautiful ballad, a Spanish ballad, on the record like that. Oh, that's cool! I look forward to that. And then also the Billy, I you have a new uh, record coming out maybe with Billy Idol. Are you guys working on or writing it, or what? What's the stage on yeah, that? Yeah, we're continuing to to write, and um, we did uh, some tracks with uh, Butch Walker, who um, I had wanted to work with for quite a while. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, he uh, was a records. lot of people, and um, and it was just. Billy, myself, and Butch. Butch plays every instrument and played uh, some second guitar and bass on it. It was it was really like we just formed this little trio to to write and record these tunes, 
And uh, I think they're, I, I think they're the strongest Billy Idol stuff in a long time. Well, yeah, it's amazing because um, I know musicians don't like Spotify, but like, mm. I think I had not heard the last two Billy Idol records. Mm. And so I listened to them on, and I was like, there's some really good songs on here, especially the, uh, I, th- I can now I always forget the names of the, I think it was the last single on uh, Kings and Queens of the underground. And it's really catchy. It's like, and I'm like, gosh, why aren't these songs on the, and it like makes me so angry that like sometimes when I hear good music <laughs> like that, I'm like, why am I just now hearing this? So, uh, people yeah. should definitely I mean, check it's, that out. It's, but. it's, you know, yeah, because, because, you know, Billy's, you know, he's, he's classic rock now. So the classic rock stations, uh, you mm. know, they'll play Rebel Yell and White Wedding and Eyes Without a Face, but it's very hard to get them to crack new music. They they have their format. It's great that they, you know, it's great that they play that stuff. And, it, you know, I receive royalties from it, but we're still making music and we still are, you know, hopefully valid. Yeah. Um, no, and the so, songs sound good. The production sounds good. Like you guys sound like on top of your game. So that's why it's so like got to be frustrating. Well, the, the last record was produced by Trevor Horn. So of course it's going to sound pretty damn good, you know? Um, but we just, we just, it's what we do, man. I mean, it's not, you know, it's just, we love making music and we love working together and, and we, we just continue to do it and we continue to do it with new people. So it's fresh. Yeah, no, I love it. And uh, I mean, gosh, so many people that you worked with, uh, I know you, you said you, the Mick Jagger thing, that was one that you, uh, you backed out on. Is there other projects or like big gigs like that that you were offered that you almost had or that you wanted that you backed out of, or it didn't work out for one, uh, one reason or another? Um. The only thing, and people probably know that I was approached by David Lee Roth when he left Van Halen and um, that uh, he flew to New York. We met up, but I was right in the midst of of uh, the third Billy Idol record, With Last Smile. And um, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I, I, I had already committed to the album and committed to touring. And, you know, I wasn't just going to pack up and go, you know, halfway through the record. All right, see you. Yeah with this guy. And I, I don't think I would have been the right guy. I think Steve, I was, you know, was, was perfect for that. And I actually, once they got Steve, um, they recorded Temp- Templeman was a producer. They recorded in New York and I met with Steve and uh, um, we hung out and then I loaned him a bunch of guitar amps for the recording. And that's right. Um, you know, cause guitar players, man, we're, 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 we're very unique knuckleheads we, <laughs> you know we're like a lot of us are socially in, in, awkward and because if you take a kid uh, and you put it and he and he wants to be in a room and not out playing football or basketball and he wants to be in a room with this instrument for four hours of it at a day you you gotta kind of be a weirdo you know right to do that you know yeah and, and to 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 issue a, 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 so, a social life with your friends. Cause I had a, you know, a lot of friends when I was a kid who would be like, Hey, let's go out here and let's see. No, I'm, you know, playing the guitar or a new Zeppelin record would come out. And I would, I'd have to learn every song because that's what you did. You know, it was, I was such a fan that I couldn't wait. I'd buy two copies of the record because I knew I was going to ruin one because of the needle going on and, oh. you know, having to replay it and re- I'd scratch the shit out of it. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, you're going to be a weird kid to do that. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Yeah. It isn't it's some of the musicians I've interviewed, they seem like they're almost more of like introverts. Like it's, it's kind of interesting because you don't think that when they're on stage and they're so flamboyant and, but yeah, I mean, guitar, guitar players, I think guitar players in general, there's always exceptions to the rule, but I remember when I saw <clears throat> dating myself here. So, um, 
1968 Elvis had his comeback special. And it was a big deal. It was in color on TV. The family had just recently got a color TV. So we're watching it. And of course, my mom and my aunt are looking at Elvis and they're like, oh, he's so, so great and so good looking. And me and my dad, my dad never played an instrument, but he, but he loved music. And we're looking at uh, Elvis guitar player, Scotty Moore. And I'm like, Scotty's the guy behind. And I'm like, I want to be like that guy. And I think, you know, all of my heroes were, you know, Jimmy Page had this sense of mystery. Um, Tony Iommi's sense of mystery. We're not the guy in the front, the, the ringleader. We're the guy. But it's, we're more, more like directors, really, kind of like, you know, working on the script and making sure all of this works together. Um, and I think a lot of guitar players have that personality. Yeah. Like I said, there's always exceptions. Well, yeah. One exception I would say is Slash. He's definitely stands out. Tell me the story about how the first time you met him at the Rainbow. That was kind of an interesting. I heard you talk telling the story on another show. Yeah. Slash is actually a pretty shy guy, though. He's not. He's certainly not a loud mouth. I mean, when he's on stage, you know, that's where we let it out. He has the character because I think because his hat and just the way he plays. Yeah. I can see him being shy. That's interesting. So, (laughs) you know, um, I, re- I remember that there'd always be, a, you know, um, in particular, I won't name the name, but there was a, a musician who was a huge, I was a huge fan of, and it was disappointing to, to meet them because they were maybe, maybe they just had a bad day or whatever, but yeah. it kind of blew me off. And, you know, and I said, oh, I love this record and I love, you know, how did you come up with this? And so evidently when, um, when I did meet Slash, I wasn't aware I had met him before. So he was in Velvet Revolver by this time and he's rehearsing and I, and, and we, you know, they had won the Grammy and, and all of us rockers were really glad for that band because it was the one rock band that was on the charts and selling records, you know, that was still had a classic rock sound. And I, I think he's one of the best emissaries for, he's a great ambassador for guitar and he's a perfect example of a guy who has the technical ability, but, also loves being in a band and working with a singer and uh, he's got, you, you can tell slash in three notes. And I think that's the, that's the yeah. real test. Um, so I saw him and I said, Hey, it's great to, to meet you. Congratulations on the Grammy. And he goes, we've met before. I said, really? I don't, I don't remember. He goes, yeah, you kind of blew me off at the rainbow. I go, when was this? He goes, yeah, I was, I was still in high school or something or just out of high school. And uh, I guess he was just some kid, you know, just yeah. like, yeah, and I was like, I, I go, I apologize, man. I'm just, I go, I, you know, I really apologize. That's not me. Maybe I was, you know, preoccupied or something. He was a good sport about it, but I didn't remember it at all. Yeah. Have you ever had the opposite effect where, like, let's say a fan reaches out to you and, you know, tells you, like, you, hey, you saved my life, like either, you know, your, mu- your music or you know, they found inspiration from your uh, guitar playing and helped propel them forward or things like that? Um, yeah, I mean, now when, when, you know, we, well, before COVID, we were doing meet and greets and, uh, and, um, I, I, Billy and I really love doing our meet and greets because we've, we've got a long, you know, our relationship for these fans has outlasted some of their parents or the, you know, they remember the first time that they brought home rebel yell and their parent, you know, maybe their dad was still, ah, shut that shit off, you know, and maybe their dad's passed away and they, mm. they 
come see us and they remember all this stuff. And, you know, now some of them have kids and they're turning it off. So for us, there's been a, we, we like doing meet and greets because for some reason, Billy Idol fans, it, it's, there's a, it's, it's a lot of them is a, is a special connection to the music. And when you meet somebody who says, well, they battled, you know, cancer and listening to the music helped them through chemo or radiation or, you know, and it gave them inspiration and, you know, eyes without a face, they got married to it or something. I mean, yeah. that's such a payoff for us. And, and we get a lot of those fans and it, it, it really does mean something beyond just playing music. You know? No, that's super cool. I'm curious, like, why do you think that you made it? I mean, cause I would say you've made it. I mean, you're Billy, I mean, just won a Grammy, so much success, all these amazing musicians you've uh, worked with. Like, why do you think you made it and others don't? Because I feel like there's a lot of people who drop out of school to play in a rock band and they don't have the same happy ending that you do. So what, what do you think sets you apart? Is it just strictly talent or is it hard work or a combination or, um, you know, there's, there was a lot of great guitar players that, uh, that I was um, uh, uh, maybe friends with in my neighborhood. And yeah. Local hero guitar players that never became successful or whatever. Um, I think a lot of it is being humble, you know, and allowing, uh, you know, um, I don't know, taking direction and, 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 and being a fan of, and, and respecting the other person or people that you work with, you know, you've got to have that. And, and if that's why bands break up because they lose respect for each other and then it becomes about the money and there's fighting and this and that. I think, think one of the reasons it's always worked with Billy is because he really, you know, he does have the final say now I'm his partner and we mm-hmm. write together and all that, but it's a Billy Idol record at the end of the day and we always have a joke like if i came up with a part and you know it, it or if there was a guitar solo that was wasn't appropriate or he'd always go save it for your own record you know <laughs> and i'd be like okay <laughs> you know yeah and um huh and also you know he knows i'm not going to bullshit him you know i'm not gonna you know he knows by now that uh you know if it's a good musical idea or or or, or what we're collaborating on i'm not going to blow smoke up the guy's butt it's that's pointless. He doesn't need me for that. So I think honesty, you have to have people skills. You have to um, Mm. sometimes be humble and, um, and also understand what it is that the other person uh, that you're working with is looking for, you know? Mm, That's interesting. Yeah. That's, you you also had an interesting quote. um, So I don't know if people know your story, but um, you know, you used to have addiction, typical rock star story went through the, you know, party lifestyle too hard. And then uh, you got sober, but it was an interesting, you said the, or actually this wasn't your quote, you, a quote that you heard was uh, people uh, at a meeting had said that someone had said this drinking the poison and you're when drinking alcohol, uh, I'm assuming they're talking about drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die. That's a really um, interesting quote about alcohol. Well, what, what, yeah, it's, it, it pertains to it, a lot of, a lot of people, um, you know, and I'm not, I'm not like a, a staunch AA person or anything. It just, yeah. you know, when something uh, ceases to work for you in the eighties, you know, we, we went from, from playing tiny little clubs at the beginning of rebel yell to playing arenas and, 
you know, playing to 20,000 people a night and that adrenaline rush and the fact that you're selling records and you're becoming this, uh, you know, this this hugely successful thing, that adrenaline rush on stage for two and a half hours was so intense that when you immediately got on a tour bus to take that seven hour ride, it was painful to crash like that. You're, you're, you're up here. And so we found that, that, uh, that alcohol and Coke enabled you to keep that and kind of for a while it worked to come in for a landing by the time you got to the hotel and then you could crash, wake up and do the sound check and do the whole thing again. Eventually it doesn't work, right? but, but it was to avoid that, that, that the emotional and, uh, uh, a physical crash that you know that the now we, we're much better at dealing with things like that but we didn't have any of those tools and also everyone in the business did did drugs and yeah you know you go into an a and r meeting with with the label and they chop out lines and stuff it really you know it's like that <laughs> so crazy so how do but you deal the, with it now but, how do you deal with a crash now you said you're better at how, what do you, my, do you meditate well, or something or no, first of all, my wife travels with me. Um, oh. When we when we met, we've been together eighteen years now, and and um, and one of the things that happens is you travel the world, and you as a musician, you never get to see anything. Right, you see the the hotel room and the dressing room, and that's and um, and uh, my wife just has the kind of personality she can hang with the other band members, and she she comes and does helps with the meet and greet and the wardrobe and all. Uh, she's like one of the she really is one of the crew when she comes out hmm. and she'll do any, whatever. Everybody loves her. And it's, it's not for every spouse because you don't want to Yoko Ono around, but, <laughs> but, but for, no. for us, it works. And, yeah. and, uh, and she's really a team player. Um, and also, I, you know, you just get to a point where you just, you know, time to grow up, you know, I mean, it's, and you have to find, um, you know, you're never going to play and perform as good as you are sober. You might think it's really good when you're stoned, mm-hmm. but it's not. <laughs> you know, you listen back to it and go, shit, <laughs> didn't sound that way in my head. <laughs> right. But you, you usually know? do the stuff after the show, right? Or were you guys? Yeah, for me, for me, it, I couldn't play uh, high. I've, n- I've never recorded high. I mean, if people go, yeah, sure. No, I've never, re- I, because I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I was useless, so so oh. it just didn't. I'd wait till afterwards or whatever. Um, but I mean, this, 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 you you as you as you mature, you gain a respect for your songs. You gain a respect for the guys on stage for you. You don't want to let them down. You don't want the audience to be the one saying, "Yeah, I saw him at eighty five. In eighty five, he was so much better." Mm-hmm. You know, I want them to go, "Wow, those guys are better than they've ever been." Um, and uh, and we try and do that every night. So, and you still get the adrenaline going from it too, right? You do. That never goes away. That's if awesome. I'm not nervous, if I'm not a little nervous before I go on, something's wrong. Oh, I mean, so you actually get a little nervous, nervous, huh? It's almost like. It's a little bit of that adrenaline and nerves, especially I would say when we do uh, like a uh, festival gig, oh. because there's a lot of other bands on it and you want to kind of be the one to go. Yeah, well, we've got Rebel Yell and <laughs> Dancing with Myself, you know, because that's like your secret weapon. Right. Having those, having those tunes. You know, some guitar player may get up there and play the most incredible solo or whatever, but you know, uh, the like Aerosmith when they get on stage and they have those songs 
or, or kiss or whatever without those songs. It's like, that's the secret weapon, you know? Yeah, and everybody I, Billy and I always say that, you know, our best special effect, we don't have, we don't have pyro or anything. Our best special effect is our chemistry on stage. You know, just, just hopefully like, like Mick and Keith or any of those great duos. Yeah. I've never seen you guys live. I really want to, hopefully you'll come to Phoenix when this whole thing uh, is over with the COVID and pandemic and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you've done, you've done some charity gigs. Um, you, so you work with a lot of charities, rock, uh, rock to recovery, music cares, uh, adopt the arts, uh, national independent venue association, save our stages. Uh, and you work with the veterans as well. Yeah, we've done, of course. Yeah. We've done stuff for wounded warriors. And I did actually, um, Matt and I did a song with a guy, I wish I remembered his name, but he was a he's a wounded warrior who who played guitar and sang, kind of a country artist. And they said, "Would you do something to raise money?" Um, because actually, um, uh, he had PTSD, mm. and um, and and Gene and Paul from Kiss actually helped him and his wife get a house. Um, they, you know, this is not not this is the stuff that people don't hear about, uh, but they they uh, raised money for the guy without any without people knowing and uh, wow. and when matt and i met him and we said well why don't we do a song with you you know and he, the guy was like what well, i said well you know you're, you're not going to come in the studio and just sit on your ass we're going to put you to work <laughs> so we did this uh we did wow. a song with the guy he's kind of a country artist I, mark something or i forgot his name so we did that and then um no, we, I, I mean um a percentage of the the i i have a signature guitar uh, with Nags guitars and the percentage goes to uh, Music Cares, a small percentage. And also the, um, I have a guitar pedal with a company called J Rocket and 20% of all of J Rocket's proceeds go to uh, Children's Cancer Fund. Um, so, you know, it doesn't take too much to like work, work out a deal where you, a little bit of percentage of something is going to go to help people. And yeah, that's super uh, cool. It's not real. It doesn't take a, a lot of effort to do that stuff. Have you ever played the top gun theme, like on an aircraft carrier for the air force? Not for the air force, but we did uh, the video. I was on top of the a plane. I've, I've, I've kind of done that twice. Uh, not, not, I, I don't like heights. So that oh. way, I was like, I'm not doing that again. That would just be, uh, I think that'd be a good uh, morale boost to the troops. Or so, if they just like, all of a sudden you came out from under the floor, playing the guitar and playing that song. <laughs> I'd love to do it. You know, that'd be, um, fun. That'd be awesome. Uh, uh, there's a top gun Two That's supposed to come yeah, out. Are it's you been, part of that? Been, yeah. Well, I think they're using my, my, uh, they've gone in and used the master okay. takes from, from the original, so uh, um, I'm more than willing to do the aircraft for them. That's cool. And then, so you have a new website, uh, stevestevensguitar.com, where people can buy merch. I want to buy one of those ray guns. They're only like twenty five dollars. You because you do the ray gun sound with, the, and you can actually buy. You can buy just the ray gun, which I I would probably just get the regular one. But you could also buy the one that's like made to actually play on the guitar, like you've re engineered it or something. Right. right. Yeah. People would always ask me about it, and I had one, and actually I owned one because these were the the kind that I use. I go in and and doctor. They were made in the seventies, and there's a certain oh. kind you have to have the speaker on the right kind, all this kind of stuff. So I had one, and some girl stole it off the stage at Brixton Academy uh, in in England, and we put the word out through the road crew, and uh, she returned it. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, she she didn't have a have a choice. That's good. <laughs> you know, and so so uh, so what happened was um, 
you know, people would ask me in their email or whatever and say, hey, man, how do I get one of these? And I'd say, you know, they're, they're not that, that easily available. Well, I came across 25 of them that were brand new oh. from the 70s. So I doctored them and I made them uh, available offline. They sold out in one day. It's oh, crazy. so those ones yeah. are, but the other ones are for the, the cheaper ones are like $25 ones are still there. Then. Yeah, they're just like things that'll sign. Yeah. That's cool. And then you do cameo. You're on cameo. If people want to, uh, you don't necessarily give a lesson over cameo, but if there's like a specific lick that somebody wants to help you have help from you, you can show them that or just say happy birthday or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, none of that stuff is, is, is sacred to me. If they have a, it's not a guitar lesson, but if they have a, you know, I get a mixture. Uh, some people want, you know, a happy birthday greeting or something or, you know, whatever. But a lot of, you know, people write in and say, you know, that, um, the first part of such and such song or, you know, the solo in this, I can't figure out how to do it. And I'll show them, you know, it's not, it's, um, you know, I, I enjoy passing on whatever knowledge I have. That's cool. And you're on Twitter now. Your manager tells me, um, I'm on Twitter. Yeah. I, I resisted for, for years. Or is it, it's kind of like to me, Twitter feels like a minefield. Like, I don't know. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. What did I just step into? Like, do you, do you feel the same way? Or you just go on and post your stuff and then get out. Um, well, anything that that I'm involved in, my wife is usually involved in, and she's got over a million followers online. And she has a million we, now on yeah, Twitter. She, yeah, uh, between Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of, I guess, accumulatively, uh, she has a, a you know an audience of a million, uh, well uh, over a million, and she's really active in that. In, in social media, she, she gets it more yeah. than I do. So anytime I would do something, she would post it and say, Oh, okay. check out Steve's thing. Um, so I kind of avoided Twitter, but now I'm kind of, I like being able to um, tweet back. Some of, some of my musician friends are on there and uh, oh, that's cool. you know, if they're doing something, I go, yeah, you know, good luck to you, whatever. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm not like, I'm not like on there every day, right. but, but I check in. Yeah. So yeah, what is your, your wife was on that married to rock. You guys got actually got married on that show. Like, is she, is she we doing did, more reality yeah. TV or she's, I know she's making the mask. What, what other projects does she have? You want to plug her stuff? Yeah. She, um, you know, we did that show and it was, um, it was actually a lot of fun to do. Um, I had the easy job cause I was on, on the road and Most, it was yeah. more about the wives and you yeah. know, the, we, we were that show, they pitched the show to us cause we, I was already friends with Billy Duffy and his girl and, Duff and Susan McKagan and and uh, and 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 uh, Perry Farrell. We were already friends. We were already doing shows together, Kings of Chaos or whatever it was. So it was just a matter of like a camera in the room to capture sure. what was going on. And uh, and my wife is, you know, she's so larger than life. But she's she's the opposite of the introvert of me. You know, I think that's why it works because she's uh, uh, she's really outgoing. She's all personality anyway. She's, she's perfect for TV. And, Does she uh, want to do my show? Maybe I should have her on. Oh man. She's uh, yeah. I, I, she's much more interesting than I am. <laughs> I will tell no you. No way, man. I'm telling you, this is surreal right now because like I said, I had the Vince Neil CD. I remember I have the, I, it's like, I could see the picture of you in it. And it was like, I'm looking at all the song notes and that you wrote the songs. And like, I loved that album. It was really, it really oh, made great. me a fan. I've tried to follow your career since then. And then when you did Sebastian box album too, I was like, Oh my God, like he's working with all my like favorite singers. Like it's great. Yeah. And I, of course I love Billy Idol too. I and mean, he's classic song. So yeah, I hope I could see you guys live sometime. And then uh, last yeah. thing I think I need to plug is this uh, rock and roll fantasy camp that you're doing 
on October 11th, or is that already filled? Out? It says 25 person max, I think. No, I, th I think that this is the second one I'm doing. Second one, the first okay. one, first one we had to actually add, uh, 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 we went way past 25 oh. and, uh, I've done, it's, it's an extension of the rock and roll fantasy camp where you actually go in person, you sign up and you're in a room and, you, um, and I was curious how they were going to do this, but it's, it's really cool. It's, um, you know, everybody is, is on Zoom much like this, and they get to ask questions, and uh, I get to share, um, you know, uh, sometimes they'll ask me something I have never even thought about. And um, and like I said, you know, man, when I was a 14-year-old kid, if I could have asked, you know, Jimmy Page or somebody a, yeah. a question about a song and had him show me or some knowledge about a, you know, a lot of people – you know, uh, ask about how do you get a guitar sound or recording or so um, cool. I, I, I dig doing it. You know, it's, it's um, like I said, if I can pass on some of this, this stuff going on in my head, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it's probably useful to somebody. Well, that's great. Well, thank you. So I hope I didn't miss anything. There's anything else you want to plug at this point or. No, I think we covered it. Okay. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate it. It's surreal for me. So I, it was a lot of fun <laughs> and I'll try to get this up soon. All right. My pleasure. Man. Okay. Be thanks, well. Steve. Stay healthy. So despite all my research, I've never heard that Sebastian Bach or Mick Jagger story. So, so many fun stories, just great advice from him. He's just such a humble and cool dude. You know, it's fun to chat with him. And again, very surreal to me uh, because I grew up such a fan. You know, I want to thank Steve for coming on and I want to thank his manager, Kent, for having the patience to set this up. Uh, make sure you check out Steve's website, stevestevensguitar.com. And again, he's on Cameo, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Make sure to follow him so you'll get the updates on his upcoming record with Billy Idol, his solo record, and all the other work that he's doing, plus the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, his charity work, etc. So much things with him. But uh, if you like this interview, you can support the show by following me on social media. Uh, write me a nice review on iTunes, or you can just slip cash in my Venmo. Thanks for listening, and remember to shoot for the moon. <laughs>